Good morning again. You should come back to your seat. I'd like to once again welcome you to the firehouse. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see all of you here. I see lots of coats, which means that it's cold outside. It's that time of year where it is cold, and we are coming to the end of the year here, and I wanted to make a quick special announcement, something we we announced. A number of you were here during the month of October. We went through sort of a finance series about giving, and we we concluded with a, uh, a call for a special offering that we are in need of here at the church with this page. Um, uh, as some of you may recall, for those of you maybe who weren't here before, we have a number of uh, short-term needs and immediate needs we're looking to see met here at the church. And we know as people come to the end of the year, oftentimes you're looking for an opportunity to give, um, and we certainly could use that here um, at the Firehouse Church. So um, the announcement is not so much about that, but that we uh, that is coming to an end here, as we had announced before. We would like to have uh, those gifts sort of on record here by next Sunday. Um, so a number of you have already given, and I'd like to say uh, on behalf of all the other pastors, thank you for giving. We really appreciate the gifts, and I know there's probably a number of you who even were thinking of doing that, and as time has gone on and through November and the holidays and, and things get busy that maybe you've forgotten, but now is your chance, and this is your friendly reminder that you have one more week here to get that in. And of course, if you do miss it next week, we of course would accept a gift anytime going on from from beyond December 7th, but uh, as we try to make projections and plans here as a church, it'd be great to just sort of know what we have to work with and go from there. So um, that's my, my public service announcement for you. Um, I don't know, how many of you are on Facebook? That's a lot of people, right? And hopefully you're, you're all my friends, or many of you, if you're not my friends, just friend me. I'd love to be your friend, but... Um, I love going on Facebook in the morning and uh, kind of seeing what's happening with all of you, right? It saves me from having to make a whole bunch of phone calls, right? No, and then I have a number of friends, too, who uh, I've known for a long time. I've lived in a number of different places, and I have friends from all those places. And, for example, yesterday I was really excited to see my alma mater, Georgia Tech, defeat the University of Georgia in overtime. And so it was really fun to see all of my alumni friends uh, commenting on that game, so that was fun. And then this morning, very special, this occasionally happens, an old friend of mine uh, posted pictures where he'd gotten engaged yesterday. And I thought, oh, right, I got another wedding to go to. It seems the, the older I get, the more of my, my peers who I've grown up with are, are married, and there's fewer and fewer weddings to go to. Um, and you're saying, Greg, what is the point of this? Um, well, today, Rich is going to talk about heaven, and he's going to talk about heaven in the context of a wedding. Um, I don't know about you, but I love going to weddings. I think they're just a ton of fun um, most of the time. Or at least they all at least have parts of them are fun, for sure. Um, but heaven, I think, is going to be like the most amazing wedding. And I won't take what Rich is going to talk about there. But um, as we think about that, I read a verse this morning in, in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5. And it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And I think, as I think about heaven and I think about, all oh, this, this glorious wedding feast, we're going to get to be in the presence of a God who is light. And all of that darkness, you know, I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. All of that darkness, all of the sin, all of the, the challenges and the difficulties. And I know um, from looking at your Facebook pages that a lot of you go through a lot of things, even what you share in that very public forum I see. And I know that a lot of you are going through immense challenges and when we get to be together at that wedding feast, we'll just be in the presence of light, God, and no darkness. So um, I'm going to pray, and Rich is going to come up here and just share from his heart what God has been showing him about heaven. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Um, we thank you that you have prepared a place for us. Um, that there are many, many rooms in heaven for each of us that if we have a right relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, we can be in your presence, away from darkness for eternity. So God, as we, as we listen this morning to uh, your word, the truth you laid out in the Bible, Lord, help us to be, um, help us to hear, but help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. 
We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. Thanks for joining us for the fifth part of our series on heaven. And um, to start things off, I, I, I don't know how you could do a series on heaven and, and not read from uh, the Narnia Chronicles, right? Um, I don't know if you've read those before or not, but uh, just great uh, analogies to to things related to spiritual truths and, and the afterlife. And I just want to read this um, closing passage, and some of you might know it. It's classic. It stirs my heart every time. And it says this, and I quote from chapter 5. No, um, this is not, all right, it's not in the scriptures here, but it's good stuff. Um, then Aslan turned to them and said, You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, as you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leapt, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, Aslan said softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. As he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. It chills every time I read that and I think about things that are to come, things that are unfolding around us. I I think we're going to focus in on a phrase here. One of the phrases is just uh, the part of the story that's the happily ever after part. Last week, um, Tim Cavanaugh spoke on the not-so-happily-ever-after part of eternity, an existence that will will not be happy at all. It will be terrible, terrifying. And and yet we're going to look at the happily-ever-after part of the story here. And really, uh, we're going to use the scriptures here. You know, this uh, Narnia Chronicles is great, and, you know, I love C.S. Lewis. We go way back. And, um, but... uh, we're going to look at some of these events that, um, as they unfold from the scriptures here, really, if you look at the end of the Bible, Revelation, the closing chapters, you see some, some things that are monumental, some things that are epic, once in a lifetime. There is recorded in here to be a war that will end all wars. And there is, after that, to be a judgment that will ultimately, the eternal existences of every human being will be decided and judgment will be rendered, and there will be eternal life, and some of the things we'll talk about, and there will be eternal punishment, things that Tim spoke about. You know, the um, book of Re- Revelations talks about, it has the phrase forever and ever several times. Both of those are mentioned. One talks about the lake of fire, and an existence that will be forever and ever. One talks about those who are united with their God, and will reign with Him forever and ever. And again, that's the, the part we're going to focus on here. And, and yet, um, you know, really in all of that, we're going to focus on one facet of, of heaven and eternity. And we're going to look at what is known as the wedding of the Lamb. We're going to look at several parts of that wedding. And hopefully it will set our expectations about the things that are to come. Sometimes I think that phrase, happily ever after, it sounds good. You know, all stories are supposed to start with once upon a time. They're supposed to end with happily ever after, right? Um, I don't know, but that's the general idea. It's a good story. Um, our, our story, we know it began with, in the beginning, God created and we know there will be a forever and ever at the end of the story here. And, um, you know, we, um, 
I think we can have this view of heaven as being happily ever after. It's very vague. I don't know about you, I'm a pastor here, and so if it's true of me, it might possibly be true of you. But when it comes to things of heaven, even as Greg Miller talked about pictures of heaven a few weeks ago, we can get really vague really quick. And it can be like, you know what, it's so hard to describe, let's just leave it alone. And then we go on with life. But I think there's supposed to be an understanding, an expectation of heaven that causes us to endure some of the things that we are called to endure in this life. And if we are not motivated by the things of heaven, then we're going to be two options really for us as believers. You're going to be motivated uh, to seek your joys and your blessing and your comfort in the here and now. Or the other alternative, which is fairly common, you will not be motivated at all to do things for your Lord and your Savior. And so I think we have to have a better glimpse. My hope this morning, one part of the, uh, the intention here is just to get us to heart, get our hearts stirred, get us thinking about heaven in a, in a way that maybe gets us to look forward to it a little more, to even motivate us. Um, I read a quote from um, a book, The Sacred Romance, here recently that I think captures this idea of what we need here. And, and it's a quote from... Uh, Jonathan Edwards, but then it is uh, the author here writing is John Eldridge, and he, it says this, though. This life, wrote Jonathan Edwards, ought to be spent by us only as a journey towards heaven. Eldridge goes on to say, that's the only story worth living in now. And the road goes out before us, and our destination awaits. Goes on later to quote the idea of Jesus, uh, and having our eyes fixed on him and how he went through this life, Hebrews 12 puts it like this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think one of the ways that we can... Avoid growing weary and losing heart and being distracted and all the things that we can become drowsy in this world as we're headed to heaven. One of the ways to do it is like Jesus did, uh, who think of the joy set before him, the joys of heaven, the joys, I think part of his joys were being united with his bride in the wedding of the Lamb. And we need to be thinking about that. We need to have something that's motivating us to endure, or we will give up, or we will try to make, as many Christians do, they try to make heaven here on earth. We don't think about those things, because, you know, I'm trying to make the best of it right here. I'm trying to enjoy it now, I'm trying to get my comforts in the here and now, and not enduring for things that will be a greater joy, a greater glory. And so, um, I'm going to pray one last time here before we, we continue, and just ask for God's help to hone in on a few things here. Lord Jesus, we do just look to you. We just ask that you would use the verses that we'll look at here to stir our hearts, to affect our thinking, to bring it in line with yours. We ask that your Holy Spirit would use the Holy Scriptures to prepare us for our Holy Groom. God, I ask that you would adjust, again, thoughts that we have that are out of line with yours, that we would live as a bride who is in waiting for the Holy One. For the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, for our Savior. Lord, help us to live as you want us to live until you return. We ask for your, your grace to understand this better in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. One uh, Bible commentator and author or scholar put it like this when it comes to... Um, uh, Understanding a biblical marriage. Really, we're talking about a marriage that is to come between Christ and his bride. And um, it says this, In biblical times, a marriage involved two major events, the betrothal and the wedding. These were normally separated by a period of time during which the two individuals were considered husband and wife and as such were under the obligations of faithfulness. The wedding began with a procession to the bride's house which was followed by a return to the house of the groom for the marriage feast. By analogy, the church, a spouse to Christ by faith, now awaits the return when the heavenly groom will come for his bride and return to heaven for the marriage feast, which lasts throughout eternity. 
Well, we're going to look at three facets of the wedding that is to come. The wedding that will end all weddings. Uh, we're going to look at the facet of the wedding celebration, the feast. We're going to look at the betrothal. What does that mean? How does that translate to our, our day and age? And then we're going to look at the waiting. How then should we wait for this to all play out. And so, um, and you have in your handouts notes, and I encourage you to jot down. We have a few blanks we'll look at there as we go as well. Um, but let's see here. So here's a verse that really, there's a number of verses. If you just do a search on wedding or on uh, the bride or things like that, you'll come across these verses that speak to the events that are going to unfold. These are, in the Bible, they're not recorded as like uh, some sort of metaphor This is recorded as something that will actually occur here. This verse says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. And then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You know, again, we're trying to focus in on the heavenly joy that is set before us here. And... The heavenly joy, the eternal joy, the uh, indescribable joy. There's so many words you could put in that blank there. We're going to talk about the heavenly joy that is set before us as it relates to a wedding. Um, We're going to look at a few facets of a wedding here that that I hope, you know, will give us a little more insight into what we should be expecting, what we can expect. Greg talked about this several weeks ago, about uh, there will be food in in heaven, I think is the way he put it there, but the food will be a part of a feast the, it's called the wedding feast, the feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And, you know, when I think of feast, you know, there's a couple components I think about for us to, you know, for us to be chewing on, if you will. Um, pardon the pun. But, uh, you know, a feast is, if coming off of Thanksgiving here, how many of you partook in some sort of Thanksgiving feast? I mean, was that not amazing? Now, some of the, I think some of the blessings of a feast is that food tastes good, right? We eat food and we enjoy it because it tastes good. And one of the pitfalls I think we have here on earth, earth related to food is that eventually when you eat enough food, what happens? All sorts of things. Yes, you get full, you get lethargic, you, the tryptophan kicks in, you fall asleep. Um, if you eat too much too often, we get overweight, things like that happen. But one thing to think about in heaven, there will be a feast. And there will be an experience of eating and taking in things that taste good, things that the Lord has allowed us to have taste. And somehow there's going to be a feast in heaven. And I like what one... uh, commentator put it about to the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, the marriage supper was the best banquet or party anyone ever knew. It was always an occasion of tremendous joy. There's going to be a huge feast there, guys. And, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be steak cooked medium well, just right, just how you like it. There's going to be steak for those that like it raw. There's going to be veggies for those who don't like steak. I don't know. Um, there's going to be all sorts of things there, but that's going to be a part of the feast. Another part of the feast that Jesus talks about it is what? What else comes with feasting? There's the, the foods and the relationships. And another word, sounds like drinks. Yes. Um, food and beverages, drinks, and relationships as well. We'll get to that, Charity. You're, you're a step ahead here. But um, Jesus said, he told his disciples at one point when they were taking the cup of wine, he said, I will not drink this again until I drink it with you in the kingdom uh, anew. There's going to be drinking, guys, in heaven, you know? Now, what are some of the benefits of drinking that we know here on earth? Um, it tastes good, right? And uh, it can relax you and something, things like that. What are the cons of drinking here on earth? Sometimes you can drink too much. Uh, you can get sick. You can drive. You can do dumb things that drinking has uh, enabled you to overcome your natural inhibitors of doing dumb things. Um, but in heaven, somehow there's going to be a drinking experience there. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to drink with you anew. You know, and I think the drinking will be, in the Bible, wine is often something that is spoken to as uh, something that brings joy, that gladdens the heart. There's going to be a joyous drinking, and guess what? I'm pretty sure in heaven, no one's going to get intoxicated. No one's going to be like, oh, crazy Uncle Larry drank too much again, you know? Um, somebody go pick him up, you know? Um, it's, there's going to be nothing like that. There's going to be an experience of feasting, of food and, and drink that is going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting. And Jesus said he, he wants to drink that wine with you in the kingdom 
anew here. And so um, that's a facet of another part of it is, is has been mentioned here, the relationships. You know, we think about the wedding. When you have a wedding, you know, who, um, who gets invited to weddings? All your enemies, all the people who never liked you, people that made fun of you in junior high? No. No, it's the people who you love, family and friends and loved ones. That's who's a part of a wedding. Part of this feast will be with family and friends and loved ones. Sometimes when we think of heaven, uh, I know our thoughts can gravitate towards those who are already there, getting ready for the feast. And often we can go, boy, I can't wait to see Fill in the blank with a name there. Someone we love. And, um, you know, I think about seeing Grandma Terry, one of our, you know, our uh, loved ones who passed away in the last year and a half. And I think about um, a cousin, Cousin Jordan, who, who died a number of years ago, was taken at a young age. And he's going to be there and he's probably already scoped out the wedding scene and all this stuff here. And, but sometimes our thoughts can gravitate towards those we love and that's good. And I think that's a great thing. Um, but I also... You know, want us to realize that, you know, at a wedding, who is the, the, the central figures of a wedding? Who are the central figures? Who are the, the, the people of honor at a wedding? The bride and the groom. You know what? I'm pretty sure our focus when we are at this wedding, it's not going to be about, hey, I'm at the wedding with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, my Savior, and here's all these people, and I can't, you know, and we're going to go off and have these side conversations and get distracted. Brothers and sisters, I think we are going to be more awestruck by the Lamb of God than you can imagine. I think we're going to be glad to be with everyone else. I think we're going to be dumbfounded by the awe of our Lord and our Savior and our groom-to-be. And we have to be careful. Sometimes we think about, in a human sense, and God has designed, the Father is throwing this wedding, and it's for His Son. And it's for his bride. And our part in the wedding is not just to tenders. It's not just to, uh, you know, go and check out all the food and kind of, you know, get to extra wine behind the scenes there or wait for the breakdancing scene. Our part in the wedding is uh, it's the bride. We are, in some ways, the father has thrown a wedding for his son. And it, all, it is all about his precious bride. It's about you and it's about I. You and I. You and me. Um, some verses I think about. Um, the Old Testament, Zephaniah has one. It says, The Lord, your God, is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, rejoicing over you with singing. Your groom waits to rejoice over you in person, face to face, to sing to you. He's got a song for you, for us. Another place it says, As a young man marries a maiden, so... Your sons will marry you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. So God will rejoice over you. God is excited to have this occasion with you. You know, I think of different wedding scenes out there. You know, they're just small little glimpses of things to come. But I think of the ones where the groom is, is watching his bride come down the aisle. And I had a friend, Torgan, as at his wedding. And he, uh, his bride, Kathy, started coming down the aisle. And Torgan just about leaped off the stage and just was like, you know, I don't know if he's been dramatic or excited, but he was, he was excited, you know. And I, I think that our... The Lord is excited about us to be a part of it. And I think about my wedding and seeing my wife come down. And I think there's, you know, a number of uh, emotions that you experience at a wedding, at your wedding. One is like nervousness and excitement. And, you know, if I was not so nervous, I think I would have jumped for joy. I think I would have pointed at my bride. Yes, yes, come on up. Way too nervous. That would have been really awkward. Um, But uh, there's such an excitement there. And God has that for you. And for me and for us together. And we, we've got to catch that. Another thing to think about is just um, at a wedding, you know, wedding nowadays, if it's not your wedding, um, you go into someone else's wedding. Usually what happens after the wedding is over. Um, We've talked about this, Greg alluded to this. You have to, you're probably a part of the cleanup team. Like, oh, it was a great wedding. Ah, now I'm on the cleanup team. Man, I wish it was my wedding. I'd be out of here on the honeymoon. Um, and if not that, if you traveled, you're kind of like, oh, that was fun. Great to see everyone. Now we've got to drive home. Um, even if you are in the, the bride and the groom part of the wedding, uh, you go on this honeymoon and eventually a honeymoon ends, you know, and it's over. And, and one of the exciting things about this, guys, a number of different things, there's no cleanup team for this. You're not on the cleanup team. You, you, you get to party the whole time. And, and as a matter of fact, you're a part of the, 
the wedding party that's going on the honeymoon, you know. And the, the honeymoon, you know, in some ways there is no mention in the Bible of this wedding celebration ever ending. Some ways I wonder if it will not be like an eternal honeymoon. You know, where you're with the person you most want to be with and you're having fun and you're enjoying companionship and closeness and friendship and it's never going to end. And a lot of times in a honeymoon, I don't know about your honeymoon, but a honeymoon has got to be financed by someone, right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> yes. You know? And so either you finance it up front, you finance it after the fact, you look at your finances and you plan on it later, whatever the case may be. But this honeymoon is going to be financed by the king of kings, the creator of heaven and earth. Well, his father's throwing the wedding, but the son is picking up the tab. And guys, it's not going to end and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be, you know, sometimes I think of our, our experience here. Sometimes people go, boy, uh, heaven sounds fine, but geez, am I going to get to snowboard in heaven? Am I going to get to do this in heaven? Somehow, like, our view of heaven is that it's not going to be as good as life here on earth. And it's such a misconception. I think a lot of our experience on life on earth relates to a broken world and our own sin and selfishness and our lack of faith. But you know what? We're going to be with the one who said, um, for, with God, all things are possible. You know, and you think about, you're on, gonna, we're going to be on a honeymoon with the one who says, all things are possible. I think about, okay, so let's go snowboarding, right? Let's go to the, who, who likes snow sports? Anybody? You're in Colorado. You got to. Yeah, somebody, a uh, few of us do. But, you know, imagine the idea of going skiing and all the things. And, and you know, I bet you there's a way to get the, the fast pass. You, you can go right past the lines. And one of the worst things about skiing is what? Yeah, there are a lot of worse things about skiing, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, getting hurt, hitting your head, whiplash while you're snowboarding, not fun. Um, another part is, you know, when you get frostbite, you're having fun, and when you're done at the end of the day, you're like, and now i got to cut off my fingers, you know. Um, it's, uh, but in heaven, the, the skiing is going to be without, it's going to be the good things without the, the bad things, you know. It'll be, imagine snowing, and when you hit the ground, skiing, hit the ground, the snow is like, you know, it's like you bounce back. It's not that hard on your head. No whiplash. Uh, no helmets needed for snowboarders or skiers. Um, it's not going to be cold. God can make snow that's not cold. And this is the God we're going to be with the whole time. It's not going to be something with, ah, geez, I'm not going to get to do such and such anymore. You guys, we got to realize who we're going to be with and what is going to be possible there. And I think it's going to be beyond what we understand here, but it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of companionship, a lot of joy. You know, I like this quote here from, uh, it's uh, Spurgeon. He says, he says this, which, you know, it's just going to transition to our next point here. But um, he said, heaven, heaven is always heaven. You know, heaven, it's not going to be over. It's not going to stop. Heaven is always heaven and unspeakably full of blessedness. And, but even heaven has its holidays and its bliss has its overflowings. And on that day when the spring tide of infinite ocean of joy shall come, what a measureless flood of delight shall overflow the souls of all glorified spirits. We do not know yet, beloved, of what happiness we are capable you and I, we don't even have a clue of the joy that's been wired into us to be able to experience, guys. It's going to be awesome. And we've got to have a sense that there is a joy awaiting us that is worth waiting for. It's worth living for. It's worth making choices here when it's hard and you feel weary to continue to press on because of the joy set before us. And we've got to be thinking about that. Scriptures say, let us set our, our minds on things above and not on earthly things here. And there's a verse we talked about. Um, the next part we're going to look at is the betrothal here. We've got to, you know, how does someone become a part of a wedding like this? How do you get to be a part of a wedding? Anyone? Invited is a good one. Two options. Invited, wedding crashers. Rob's done a little of that, have you? Um, or whoever said that. Oh, David. Oh, David. All right. That makes more sense. Okay. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you get invited to a wedding or you kind of show up. Somehow or another, you, you crash a wedding. You know, I, I hope there's no full-time wedding crashers around here. But, um, you know, in this case, we, we've all been invited. I want you to know whether you've known this or not. You're showing up at our church. I've got to let you know you've been invited to the wedding of all weddings. You've been invited to the wedding of the Lamb. Many are invited. You know what? Everyone's invited to this wedding. And yet, yet few are chosen. There's some that don't want to be a part of it. There's some who go, you know what? 
I don't want anything to do with Jesus, much less be a part of some sort of celebration and intimacy like a wedding. But you've been invited, and I, I, we've got to let you know that. And yet, um, you know, again, what is our role to be in the wedding? Well, it, it is to be the role of a bride. I love the Apostle Paul when he talks about uh, the bride. You know, he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. He's betrothed us. You know, really the gospel, the essence of the gospel is introducing someone to Christ, the Lamb of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the gospel is extending that wedding invitation and realizing, hey, he wants you to be a part of it. He loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. Um, and, and, you know, that's really at the heart of it. And, and yet, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, modern day times, we call that the engagement, the engagement story, right? Um, so how does one become a bride? Well, generally, you have to respond to someone who's proposing to you, right? Um, there's one who initiates, and then there's a response, and then you decide, do we make it to the wedding or not? It's exciting. There's a number of different relationships in various stages here, and, and some are in the... Are some of you in the engagement phase here, or uh, soon to engage? Those who haven't proposed yet are now feeling really awkward. No pressure. <laughs> Get on that. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, in order to become a part of a wedding like that or to have a bride, there, there's got to be a proposal, you know. And um, I just think of some of the, um, you know, we need to respond to the proposal to, to become a part of this, you know. And I think of some of the stories here, you know, there's been a number of different stories. I think Alan and Lydia, they had a cool, Alan kind of staged this whole thing with the limousine and he had the limousine pretend like it broke down and so he and Lydia had to get out and walk and they walked to a certain location where the photographer was waiting and they had this whole thing set up really cool and eventually though they had a wedding because she she said yes you know he took a knee he proposed she said yes they had a wedding a number of you had different stories there I remember mine um uh you know, I dated my wife. For, we started dating. About a year later, we were married. Somewhere halfway in between, we got engaged. And, and I kind of, you know, my challenge was I knew she knew that I was going to be asking her the question sometime soon. So my number one goal was to confuse and surprise her. Somehow to throw her off, you know. And so the day it was going to happen, I had this whole thing planned out. We were going to this restaurant, and I had roses there. And then we kind of went on a tour of where our first date was at a coffee shop. And then we went up to the A in Fort Collins. It overlooks the city there. Uh, by horse tooth and you know I thought ah, she might think it's going to happen here no nope, not there and then we went all over I just kind of tried to keep her on her toes finally I brought her back home and uh, the night was about over and she's thinking I hate this guy even if he asked I'd say no you know um, but eventually you know she was sitting in this chair and I said you know you should um, I think there's something under the chair you're sitting in there the couch I had planted a, a book there you know I thought you know there's something under the chair and she pulls it out and she goes wow a book oh that's cool um and, and she pulls it, I'm like, you should, you should flip the pages, you know, the first couple pages, you don't see anything, but you flip the pages, and I had had a friend, I worked with one of my, actually my best man at the time, well, at the time, he was the best man in the wedding, but he helped me carve out a big, giant opening in the book here, placed a ring in, and she flipped the pages, and there was a ring, we took it out, and asked her to become my bride, and she said yes, and uh, it's great jubilation, and um, and we had a wedding because she responded to my proposal. And, you know, we have to realize the same is true. There's some imagery here related to a, a proposal in the Bible. It's called a betrothal there. Ours is called engagement. But uh, the one thing we have to catch that's different in the proposal from God to us is that... Um, you know, our proposals we think about are romantic. You know, we try to roses and flowers and different things. And, um, but, but God's proposal to us wasn't really that romantic. You know, it took place on a hill called the Skull, Golgotha, which in Greek is known as, as Calvary. So he proposed on the Skull. He didn't take a knee. He took a cross. He, he didn't give a, a ring or a precious stone. He gave his blood. And it was his way of saying... I want to be with you forever. And, and he put the ball in our court. It's expressed well here in, in Romans. It just said, while we were still helpless. You know, sometimes love can be expressed to meet a need or through sacrifice or commitment or forgiveness. In some ways, Christ's proposal to us had all of the above. For while we were still helpless, and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps a for a good man, someone would die, dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
His proposal was, was on a cross and, and dying for our sins and offering forgiveness and eternal life. And, um, and the way that we become a part of that is we need to respond to the proposal. We need to not just respond, but we need to respond by saying yes to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This verse here just says about his visit to the planet. And it says, you know, many, those, many did not receive him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But it says this, yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, believe in his name, they gave the right to become children of God. There's a receiving of the one who's proposed to you in love. And another way it's put is this, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, will have a part in the wedding celebration that is to be everlasting by believing. You know, our response, it takes faith to say yes to Jesus Christ because he is not here in flesh and blood like he was back then. And and we say yes as his spirit tugs on our heart and as we understand the scriptures and the message, we say yes by faith. And that is how we become a part of this. And and my hope is, uh, you know, it requires a response. This one says here in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's a believing that's required that you believe Jesus took your punishment to the cross. And yet there's an expressing, confessing Jesus as Lord um, that, that helps express that faith in a, in a saving sort of way. And so uh, my question to everyone here is, do you know that God loves you? That he's proposed to you an option for eternal life? That he's, he's taken a cross for you? And, and your response, there's really two responses. There's, there's yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or there's anything else. I'm not ready. I don't believe it. It sounds too good to be true. I don't deserve it. There's yes and there's anything else. But only yes will get you to be a part of the wedding of the Lamb. My hope is that you would say yes to Jesus if you have not yet. The last part we're going to talk about here is really the waiting. You know, there's the, the, the feast that is to come. There's the betrothal and there's this time in between. And I, I love how the, the one writer just talks about talks about us in this analogy that the church, espoused to Christ by faith, now awaits the, the parousia, the, the return of the heavenly groom for his bride. We're waiting. And, and so the question really becomes, um, you know, how, how then should we live if we are a bride and waiting, waiting for the groom to return and take us to his wedding feast that is prepared? How then should we live? Another way to put the question is, how should we live until then? couple things to think about here. One is that we, we need to live holy lives, guys. Um, you know, if we back up a verse here, just see the, that when you, um, oops, maybe not back up a verse. Oh, this is one here. You know, when we say yes, when you say yes, when someone is in, proposes to you, um, maybe you've had this happen or not, but a lot of times they, they take a knee, they say they love you, they want to marry you, and they offer a ring to you. And if you say yes, you, you take the ring as a symbol of the promise, of the arrangement that there will be a wedding, that there's an intention to follow through on this. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, this verse here, I love what it says. You don't get a ring. You don't get precious metal. You don't get a diamond. You get something even better than that, even greater. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. You get the Holy Spirit to mark you, to seal you, to be with you until the wedding. And, and the Holy Spirit, one of the, the roles the Holy Spirit has with us is to help prepare us for, our, for the Holy One. The groom is the Holy One. And, and the bride needs to be holy. That's uh, this next verse we see here, and in some ways we've been made holy by the blood of Christ, and yet in other ways there's an ongoing process that we're a part of, and the Holy Spirit is trying to cultivate this in us as the bride. Husbands, love your wives just, also, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water, with the word, that he might present that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, with no, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You know, the NIV says that um, he wants to present the bride radiant, 
holy and blameless. We are to be the radiant bride, set apart for Christ. And, you know, um, we need to live holy lives. Sometimes I, I think of the analogy of uh, a woman, I don't know, an analogy, you might call it like the muddy, the muddy bride or something like that. But you imagine this, this woman that's en route to this wedding celebration, say it's in the countryside, they're getting married on some farm somewhere, nice little beautiful chapel built in the middle of a farm in Iowa, also known as heaven. Um, and... And so the bride is headed in, getting ready for the wedding procession to come down the aisle. She's got all her bridesmaids with her. But imagine if on her way to the chapel, she spots this like this uh, pigsty area. And she's like, whoa, the pigs. Awesome, just a second. And she jumps at the fence and she gets in the mud and she sits in the middle of the, the mud with pigs and it stinks. And she just starts rubbing mud all over herself. And then she hops up and says, all right, let's go, bridesmaids. Let's go, ladies. Um, and she hops into the to the chapel and comes down the aisle full of mud and smelling like, fill in the blank, smelling like whatever there. Now, now, what would you think of a situation like that, a bride like that? You know, if you're like me, I go, that would be absurd. That's just, why would anybody ever do something so dumb as that? And yet, don't be too harsh with our judgments here because in some ways I feel like the bride of Christ, that we are like that. We are called to be a part of a holy, a blameless, a righteous wedding scene. And we're waiting for that. And we're on the way to the the wedding ceremony and we are living like a bride like that in, in a pigsty. We're living in unholy ways, in ways that are a stench to our Savior, in ways that are unrighteous, ungodly, and unholy. And somehow we think, well, that's absurd, but we're doing it. We're living in a way that's not fitting for the bride of Christ. And we've been given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not the ungodly spirit, not the worldly spirit, not the I can do whatever I want because I'm under grace spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit to present a holy bride, radiant for her groom. I encourage you to take some time somewhere Whenever you get a chance to sit down and get still with the Holy Spirit and ask, is there any unholy living in my life and in my heart? And you respond to the Holy Spirit who's wanting to sanctify and prepare you. I could give you a bunch of rules and a bunch of laws and and you've got the Spirit and you've got the Holy Scriptures and that's all we need to be groomed to be a holy bride. We need to be faithful to our Savior in the meantime. We are engaged. We are under a betrothal was just as official as as the final vows. And so um, we need to be faithful. This verse here in James and and the New Living, or the Living Bible paraphrase, puts it like this, guys. He's speaking to believers, to Christians in the first century. My guess is a lot of those Christians were doing better than the, the Christians of the 21st century. And he says this to his fellow believers. You are like an unfaithful wife. Who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies. The evil pleasures of this world make you an enemy of God. And it goes on to talk about how the spirit. The Holy Spirit longs. Yearns for us to be faithful. And in women we've been given the Holy Spirit. We need to be faithful. We need to live holy lives. It says this. um, I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasures of the unsaved world, you cannot be the friend of God. Or what do you think the scripture means when it says the Holy Spirit who God has placed within us watches over us with tender jealousy. But he gives us more and more strength to stand against all such evil longings. Brothers and sisters, we are the bride in preparation and we've got to stop And I encourage you and me, you know, this is just as convicting for me, but we've got to take a look at things in our lives. We've got to take a look what what entertains us, what feeds our souls. Take a look at your playlist, guys. Is your playlist holy and righteous, or is it ungodly and worldly? Does it say things about that would disgrace and grieve the Holy Spirit. Think of things that are entertaining to us. We find entertainment in so many things. And, and do you think the Christ who we are going to be, be with forever finds them entertaining? Sometimes we ask the question, is it legal? Um, you know, in, in Colorado, things are now more legal than they are in other places. And guess what? I think the bar should be a little bit higher for a holy bride. Is it righteous? Is it godly? Is it Christ-centered? Not is it legal? Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit 
wants to present us as a holy bride. And I know I've got as much work as anyone, but we've got to be thinking about it. We've got to be yielded. We've got to be in preparation. We've got to be faithful. I think we believe better about ourselves as the bride than we ought to. We need to be working. We need to be on mission. There's, uh, Peter talks about there's a delay for this all to play out, for the groom to return. There's a delay. And he says, And dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. You guys, there's still time. He's not coming back. The groom's not coming back because there's people who are yet to respond to the gospel, to the invitation, to the wedding. And we are supposed to be extending the Christ invitation to people who he loves and wants to be with forever. And we need to extend that. And we need to put before them a decision to either say yes or something else to the Christ. And we've got to be appealing to them while there is still time, men and women. We're waiting. We shouldn't be sitting around. We've got work to do. Last part, we need to be ready. We need to be ready for his return. We're going to close with the words of Jesus related to a wedding feast here he talked about. Matthew 22 just says, While the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. I think about the intoxicating effects of this world that we live in. And as believers and disciples, we can get drowsy. and Fall asleep and not be ready. Not be eagerly expecting. Not be waiting for. Not be alert. But he goes on to say, And the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was shut goes on to say that some came and they began banging on the door and saying, Lord, Lord. And he, he went on to say, the groom went on to say, I, I never knew you. They missed it. They had not responded personally to him and they missed his return. And goes on to finish that passage. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Brothers and sisters, as, as the bride-to-be, we've got to be living holy lives. We've got to be faithful. We've got to be working on the mission he's given us. And we've got to be ready got to be ready. I think of the songs, people get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. You know, guys, it's true. It's really true. And we've got to live like it. We've got to catch this. And I'm going to go ahead and pray. I think Greg will wrap things up here. Oh, Jesus, Lord Jesus, we just ask. We ask for your help. Of the verse in James, it just says, you give more grace so that we can have the strength we need to resist the evil desires of this world. Lord Jesus, we need more grace to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. We need grace to, to live for you, to live holy lives, to be faithful, to be on mission. Lord, help us to get the good news out that the wedding invitation is extended to everyone. And yet it is only through the Lamb of God and, and receiving the Lamb of God by faith. And we just ask you, help us to be working at it. Lord, help us to be ready for your return, not caught by surprise, not drowsy, not falling asleep, not taken captive by your enemies in this world. Lord, help us, we pray. Prepare us as a radiant bride, we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rich. Man, I want to be ready. Do you want to be ready? Amen. Yeah, well, that's what we're about here at the Firehouse Church. As we, we want to help you live that holy life um, that Rich is talking about here. Um, and that's, that's why we do all of these things. Uh, sort of, if you've come to us on Sunday morning, the, the next step, so to speak, is joining us for small groups on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you join us. If you need information on that, you can talk to Rich or me or Brad or somebody else who's here or someone at the information kiosk, or you can even check out our website. There's information there. Um, uh, as we close here, I wanted to run through just a couple more announcements here. I know that it's, it's December and it's the holidays and things get busy, so I thought just one more time over a couple of things. First one, uh, I'm going to work my way backwards to Christmas Eve. Uh, we would really love to have you join us here. We do this every year. We do a candlelight service. We have Christmas carols. This year, I believe the Clark family is going to be leading the music. They're not going to be leading the music. They are. They're not. Someone is going to be leading the music. It's going to be great. Uh, whoever it is. And then, uh, also, we mentioned on December 14th is the Christmas concert. Uh, in the evening at 6 o'clock, there'll be no church uh, service that Sunday morning. Once again, a great time to get the kids up here. I was in there in the men's choir. 
that should be entertaining, at least. So you should at least come for that, for sure. And also, one more announcement about that. We're asking people to bring Christmas cookies and treats for that. So if you're part of our church and you normally come to these things, please bring some treats, and we'll have a treat feast. Kind of like in heaven, maybe, a feast. I don't know. Working our way backwards one more week to next week, December 7th, we are going to do baptisms and baby dedications. If you are interested in being baptized, you can talk to me, you can talk to Rich or Brad, um, and we'd love to, to get you plugged in with that or in dedicating your child as well. Also, if you are new with us, thank you for being here. Uh, I recognize it takes a lot of courage to come into a room of people this size who know each other when you don't know anybody And I just want to thank you for being with us this morning. And if you are new today or have been coming here for a while and are new, I wanted to also let you know next Sunday, immediately after the service at noon, that's why I'm holding this flyer. This is the flyover. You go, what is the flyover? It's a picture of a World War II airplane. It's basically a chance for any of you who are new or new-ish to our church to meet the pastors, hear a little bit more about the firehouse. We'll provide you lunch. It starts at 12. We'll go for about an hour in the classroom here. Um, some of these flyers are available if you need one just to remind you. Or next week, again, if you're new, thank you for being with us. We'd love to invite you to come to that next week. So that being said, please enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We're glad you're here. Go Broncos. See you next week. Oh.